today's uh, we don't really do the opening anymore do we yeah we haven't we didn't do last episode how are things going <clears throat> all right so the first thing that i would just want to do talk about is uh last episode or i guess it wasn't really an episode i just put it in the podcast feed mm-hmm. um is that we have a voicemail feedback line so people can call and leave a voicemail and ask a question or give us some feedback or whatever and I was disappointed because not a single person called. Um, I thought that at least somebody would call and they want to hear themselves on the show, but nobody called. Um, so, yeah, I guess if you're listening to this episode and you feel like calling, uh, it's area code 252-88-TRASH, and you can just click on the link in the show notes and call and leave a voicemail and we'll play it on the next episode but uh we don't have any voicemails to play for this episode yeah that's kind of a bummer i i know like some folks on irc said like hey i have some thoughts uh but yeah just anything you guys want to hear about like uh no question is small or big or whatever too inappropriate i guess for the show just uh just reach out say hey yeah, so I was complaining on IRC because of that, because uh, in the past we've uh, made shirts and stickers, and uh, no, nobody bought any of those, <laughs> um, and it just felt like, I don't know, is no one actually listening to the podcast? Uh, I think it's just robots downloading our shows, um, so maybe we need like a CAPTCHA or something uh, to download our episodes or listen to them. Um so I was complaining because the like the garbage.fm domain costs me like I think it was up for renewal or something and I had to pay to renew it. So I was just complaining because like no one listens to the show and I have to pay to renew the domain uh to keep hosting the archives. Uh so at the last Chibug meeting, which is the uh Chicago area BSD users group, um mm-hmm. Two of the guys there, Len L and Jim H, uh, donated some money to the Garbage FM Support Fund to uh, awesome. <laughs> to pay for the domain for another year. So thank you to them. Uh, and I guess some people are actually listening to the show. But if you are, just uh, leave us a voicemail or something, and we'll play it on the next episode so that other people know that uh, it's not just robots listening to our show. Yeah, I happen to know that we do have a couple people listening because uh, um, Michael, what is the guy's name? Dexter, Michael Dexter. Um, he gave a shout out at a conference and basically said, uh, listen to Garbage FM. Um, he may have overstated what we are. We basically just complain about things and we're a couple of guys who talk <laughs> about technology. But uh, he said we had uh, what quality content. Uh, I don't know. That might be a reach. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, the other thing, well, anyway, Michael, thank you for the shout out. Um, But the other thing, uh, Stefan Sparling, he emailed us um, after last episode. I made a comment about uh, Patrick's uh, BWFM driver. Mm -hmm. And I said that it's more secure um, because our driver, he made the BWFM driver do the uh, WPA handshake in the driver instead of letting it happen in the firmware. Apparently there's some uh, weakness in the, in the firmware that's on that card. So um, he, he made it happen in the uh, normal part of the stack where everything else happens rather than letting the firmware handle that. So um, yeah, I guess maybe I should just read his email. 
Sure. Um, yeah, so it says the security thing Patrick did was to take the WPA handshake out of the firmware's hands. Otherwise, the firmware would take a plain text passphrase and a command and perform the handshake itself. We did not want that because of the crack attack, which attacks this handshake. Um, there was also uh, Stuart Henderson posted a list of CVEs for the Broadcom firmware um, on September 21st. And uh, the BWFM driver is fast because the firmware contains a full-blown 802.11 AC stack, which runs outside of our control. The driver has virtually no control over this. It can only set some basic parameters and then provide raw Ethernet frames uh, to the device. The firmware interprets all metadata in frames and enables AC if the AP supports it. Um, if our 802, uh, uh, if our Net 802.11 stack was 11AC capable, we could see similar speeds in IWM, but there's a lot of work left to do for that. Even our 11N implementation is still incomplete. The next steps would be TX aggregation for support um, and support for wide channels. Currently, all drivers except B BWFM are limited to 20 megahertz width, and I think they go up to uh, 40 megahertz um, on 5.8 gigahertz, so you get like double the width. So, but I know um, Stefan works on that stuff a lot. Like he does a really good job with it. I think our wireless drivers and our wireless stack is actually really high quality. Um, mm -hmm. I wish the guy could get some, some assistance doing that. Um, I guess we kind of take for granted that everything just works all the time, but uh, I would like to see some of those areas get some assistance. I tried to work on some of that stuff and uh, yeah, life with three kids just doesn't permit for that kind of thing. I'm actually a little bit familiar with the, the, um, the wireless side of that thing, but the drivers are, uh, or where his skills are. So I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I think it's, I think it's cool that he replied back. Thanks uh, for doing that. That's really cool. And I think that's good information um, just for our listeners to have as well. So, yeah. Um, and I guess that kind of speaks to OpenBSD's uh, security uh, ethos, I guess, as a whole, um, mm -hmm. you know, it would have been easy to just hand off the uh, passphrase to the card or the firmware and let it do it. Um, but, it's, uh, you know, more work, I guess, but it's more secure to do it the way that uh, OpenBSD is doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and it, uh, I made a note because um, there was talk in the OpenBSD IRC channel, which is on a free node, by the way. Um, somebody was asking why the, uh, the U2F uh, USB security keys don't work mm -hmm. in uh, mm -hmm. the browsers on OpenBSD. Um, and I was trying to explain that uh, it is secure to use those tokens, but from a um, security standpoint at, I guess, OpenBSD's level, that means that your browser has to be able to talk to random USB devices. Right. So it's not going to, it doesn't work now, and I think there's some kind of bug where it actually crashes the browser, which obviously shouldn't happen, but um, to make that work, you'd have to allow the browser to, you know, talk to your, uh, to just any USB device, um, and it can already, I think, I don't know if it, if it works, but like, you know, you want your browser to talk to your webcam and your microphone and USB devices and like, where does it end? Right. And, and even if you do want to have those capabilities, there needs to be an appropriate level of separation. <clears throat> 
And I don't think that that's there right now. I don't think that we have the proper level of handoff for that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. I don't know too much. Like it's, it's a massive ecosystem around that, but I think basically the way Chrome did it, it was basically like, um, the browser was just doing a query to a device. Um, like, uh, the U2F keys have a challenge response. So the browser would just challenge it. So it would send the, the call right to the USB device and say, Hey, what do you think? So that's, that's not how you got to do that. Right. Um, and then, you know, to get that stuff working, you have to make sure it's secure and then you can't use, um, all of the, uh, mechanisms that, uh, OpenBSD tries to put in browsers like pledge and unveil because now, you know, all those other devices and, uh, IO controls and everything have to be able to, uh, have to be able to be done from the browser. So anyway, um, moving right along to uh new topics did you want to talk about the uh ill-fated hp chromebook 13 that has been the your nemesis for all these years yeah so um i do so first off i am uh using my mouse my touchpad on my chromebook right now and i'm doing like middle button click right left click and all that kind of stuff (laughs) Uh, and it and it works actually really well. I'm surprised by how well it works. So Ben Pai, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but he um, sent a diff into the mailing list. Um, what was it? There was an email that came through on bugs, and then a couple days later, uh, there was a diff that came through and said, "Hey, my HP Chromebook MMC storage uh, doesn't work." And then with this diff, it does. And of course, I had to do that. Uh, take a look at that. I suppose I'll take a little bit of a rabbit trail here and like it took me four days to get my Chromebook recovered and then be able to put it back in developer mode and boot off legacy device to even test this diff, which was completely infuriating. Recovered in Chrome OS, right? Because it wasn't even running OpenBSD at this point. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I had been booting off of my micro SD card and apparently my kid hit the space bar for me, which took it out of. Mm. Um, whatever <laughs> development mode. Right. And then I tried all this recovery stuff and I don't know, it just didn't work. But anyway, four days later, I finally get to test this diff and sure enough, it's like an 11 line addition. And basically um, the, the, what was happening. And of course it's very obvious now is that um, it was changing the voltage several times when it should have only been setting the voltage voltage once and what happens every time it sets the voltage is it powers off and then it powers back on. And this is, sorry, this is for the EMMC, right? Not the touchpad. Yeah, yeah sorry, yeah. Uh, I'm talking specifically about the EMMC. Um, and so the diff is basically for um, the SDHC. And it what it does is it adds a couple things to store the current voltage and um, basically not reset that voltage or not try and set that voltage again if it's already been set. And what happens with this chip is as soon as you turn it off, there's a power up sequence that you have to follow. And it's like, Hey, as soon as you power me up, you have to go through these sequences. Well, the first time we initialize the hardware, we go through that sequence and everything is fine. But if you repeatedly do that, it doesn't work. 
um, which is why I was seeing commands working just fine and then all of a sudden commands stopped working, like it stopped responding to stuff. So thanks to Ben, uh, he figured that out and um, I was able to actually install OpenBSD. So I built a kernel with it. Um, I booted it up. I was able to see it and I was like, oh man, I can read off of it and everything. Like this is working great. And so what I did was um, I built a RAM disk using that kernel and I did a complete installation from the RAM disk to the, uh, or I booted the RAM disk and I installed right to the MMC and booted right off of it. It was working fine. And um, the only other thing is like the suspend and resume support needs some work, but I won't really go into those details too much. But uh, anyway, after I had it booted from the MMC, it was working significantly better. Like I can, like the laptop feels perfectly usable now. Nice. And um, so I started hacking up um, HS400 support. I had kind of thought initially, like, or one of the rabbit trails that I went down a year ago was that it needed to have the hardware initialized with these HS400 um, tuning parameters. And what is HS400? Yeah, so basically it it sets the clock to 200 megahertz and it sets the timing correctly. Um, And so I pulled out a diff that I had that started to have some of that work. Um, And that part looks good. Um, And I've been booting that diff when I... The last thing that I have to do now is I have to set up a tuning loop. Essentially, you um, send a a series of commands until... um, you basically get a reply back that says, hey, I'm done, I'm tuned, I'm good to go. Or you do it 40 times and then you say, okay, everything's tuned. Hmm. Um, So we actually don't have the notion of that in our driver right now. So it's not too much code, really. Honestly, it's just like a a for loop. Uh, You set a couple flags. You have to actually initialize the tuning in HS200 mode, which is virtually the same thing. And then you issue this command. So um, I worked on that for like two days. And um, the tuning block I've had to table for like, I don't know, four or five days now. But I think that's the last of it. And then once it's tuned in HS200, I should be able to set the clocks to 200 megahertz and the timing. And it the driver is essentially the same as it was before. Um, those are the only two things that really change. So instead of running at uh, 52 megahertz, which is what I think we're at now, um, it'll run at 200 megahertz dual data. So read, ran, write, and uh, it should be flying. It should be really good. So Nice. Uh, and he also wrote a driver for the touchpad. Yeah. Uh, which is funny because he based it off of I, uh, ATP which is the I2C touchpad driver that I wrote for the Chromebook Pixel. Um, so now there are two touchpad drivers in the tree, or soon to be. Soon um, to be, hopefully. Yeah, for Chromebooks, which is cool. Yeah. Super excited about it. Thank you, Ben. Um, really good work. I'm excited to see, like, actually, we've been chatting on IRC, and he's got some good stuff in the works right now. We've been kicking around some Raspberry Pi things, and he's... Um, talking about some other work that he's doing it's exciting stuff so we welcome all the diffs um look forward to his contributions it's been it's been awesome yeah uh thanks ben uh what other devices are still unsupported on that machine 
so there's no sound oh. right now. Um, geez, I can't even remember off the top of my head. Um, let me look at the D message real quick. There's a whole bunch of things. Um, SPI, SMBus, PMC. Yeah, I mean, honestly, aside from the sound, it's working really well. Cool. Uh, touchpad's working real well. I'd have to look closely through here. I haven't looked too uh, too closely. I've been focusing on the um, HS400 tuning and and uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So are you going to be importing that driver, or are you still waiting for OKs? I'm waiting for OKs. Um, I w- there was discussion around the suspend and resume portion of that, and um, I think the driver bits are okay. He ironed out those. Um, he's actually doing it with um, SoftRaid Crypto. And that adds uh, having your root device on SoftRaid Crypto um, adds another layer layer of complexity. But I think the SDHC stuff is is good. Nice. So what else should we talk about? I think we definitely need to talk about your crazy reverse engineering efforts. So yeah, so let's uh let's open this up. So you uh, have been working on this Huawei. Uh, I like how you say that Huawei. Huawei, <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, the the speakers. You said that it was only coming out of the left channel, and then you decided that you wanted to make this work, and you disappeared for like two weeks. Yeah. So I've actually had this laptop for like a year and a half. Um, it's been my primary OpenBSD laptop since then, and I really just love it because it is thin and light. Uh, it has a high DPI screen. The bezels on the screen are very tiny. It's fanless. There's no coil line. It has eight gigs of RAM. It has a fast, uh, SSD has built in Intel Wi-Fi. It's, uh, it's perfect for what I want. The, the only thing that hasn't really worked aside from the fingerprint reader, which I don't care about is that it comes, it has a Dolby Atmos, uh, stereo like system or whatever, um, that it was touted, you know, when it came out because it has like Dolby tuned speakers, uh, is that the right side speaker never worked. So it would only play out of the left speaker and it would, it showed up as like two speakers. So if you played audio, you would only just hear half of it. Um, it wasn't like it, you know, sent everything to one speaker, which was annoying. So I had to configure, um, the sound daemon on OpenBSD to basically downmix everything to mono and then put it out of the left speaker. So it's bothered me since then, but since I've, uh, you know, learned of that hack, it hasn't bothered me that much. Um, and I can't remember what turned me on to it, but I read an article about this thing on Linux called VFIO, uh, which is a mechanism for um, basically handing off a device. Uh, most of the time it's uh, like a PCI device and on the computer, and then you can basically send it to userland, and then userland can do something with the device, such as... If you wanted to write a userland driver, I guess you could. 
Um, and I think there were actually some guys from Cisco that are doing that to pass a network card into user land and then writing and then like doing their own custom driver for it. I don't really know why. Um, but it is, uh, you can also um, connect it to QMU. So QMU can then pass that device to the uh, operating system that you're virtualizing. So um, in researching VFIO, I found that there's a subreddit uh, called VFIO and it's all gamers. And they use VFIO so that they can boot Linux on their computer, but they run Windows in QMU, and then they pass in their GPU device to Windows, and then they can play games at like full frame rate um, by letting the virtualized Windows use their hardware GPU. So I thought that was kind of weird, but uh, for what I wanted to use it for was to pass the sound device uh, from my laptop into Windows and then install these Dolby drivers in Windows and then um, sound would work inside QMU. And then one feature of QMU is that you can then trace all kinds of data and it can log it to a file. And so combined with VFIO, you can have it log every PCI um, read and write that's going on. That's So you're kind of doing a man in the middle between uh, Windows and the driver and the actual PCI device. So I did that and then got a dump of every PCI write, uh, read and write and all of the config read and writes um, and had a massive file of all this stuff. And then I basically just went through it and tried to figure out what the Realtek uh, Dolby driver was doing in Windows that the Azalea device on OpenBSD was not doing so that I could, you know, toggle some magic register is what I thought it was going to be, uh, toggle some magic register in OpenBSD, and then it would just magically activate the right side speaker. Yeah. Uh, and that did not exactly turn out as easy as I was hoping. So it took me like a week or two, um, basically booted to a USB key on my uh, laptop. So I was running Linux on there, um, doing all these experiments, trying to figure all this stuff out. So just just because I'm curious, how long, you, you talked a little bit about this uh, in your article that you wrote up about this, but how long does it take for you to set up this environment, uh, recompile QMU with the proper stuff to capture all this information and just get the system running? So um, I had to find that old blog post to figure out how to actually do the, the VFIO setup in Linux because it's not as straightforward um, as it maybe should be, but because you basically have to boot Linux, you have to configure Grub to tell the kernel to boot um, with certain a certain PCI um, card ID uh, as basically blacklisted, because otherwise the built-in Linux sound driver would attach to the uh, sound chip. So you have to do that. You have to blacklist that device. Um, it's using the PCI stub uh, device driver in Linux. So that basically prevents the driver from attaching, and then you can create a new VFIO device in the kernel with that PCI device since it's uh, not being used anymore. And then you boot QMU, and you pass it a flag and say to pass that uh, new VFIO device. So setting all that up, it wasn't terribly difficult. It just... Um, 
you kind of have to know all the commands and it's all in the article on my website. So I, um, hope that it's a lot easier for the next person. Um, and then I basically just had a shell script that I would run that, um, booted up QMU with all the random options to set up, you know, user mode networking and, um, the VFIO device and, um, log the events that I wanted, which were all like the PCI read and writes, uh, to a file. And then I had one with Windows 10 and um, something that I, I find interesting about Windows 10 now is you can just download the ISO for Windows 10 directly from Microsoft's website. Mm-hmm. Like back in the day of like, you know, Windows XP and all those things, you had to download some like sketchy ISO from a Wear site or something. Um, but you can, I, I guess Microsoft, you know, finally realized maybe that's probably not a good idea and that there is a legitimate reason to need a ISO of Windows 10. So you can right. just download it directly from Microsoft and then boot that in QMU and install it to, you know, a, a virtual hard drive. And you don't need a Windows, um, like a real serial number for like a month. It'll let you, you know, use Windows 10 normally for a month or whatever it is. Um, and then I configured QMU so that it would take a snapshot of that base install of Windows with the Realtek drivers. And then it creates a snapshot of that. And then I boot to the snapshot because I was starting and stopping QMU so often that every time I would stop it, um, if I didn't, you know, correctly shut down windows, the next time I would boot up, it it would go through its sequence of like, Hey idiot, you you know, you have to properly shut down your computer. I'm going to check your hard drive. And then like, sometimes it, it wouldn't even boot anymore, which is ridiculous because like, how do people run normal windows machines that like, if you cut the power to them, they suddenly can't, boot up on their own anymore without like going into a recovery screen. But anyway, um, so once I had all this set up, it was just a matter of like running a shell script and it would do all this. It would set all this stuff, this stuff up for me and then boot, uh, windows. And like I was saying with the gaming stuff, like if you run QMU with the, um, like the kernel mode kind of helper stuff, like windows, or any uh, virtualized machine in QMU runs at almost native speed in Linux. It's kind of uh, weird how fast it is. Um, so yeah, so I was doing all that. I had you know these like massive six megabyte log files of all the PCI read and writes, trying to figure out what is going on, and then um, I had to dive into the actual like uh specification document of the intel high definition audio controller which is like the standard that all of these audio devices use uh and the short of it is that i figured out that um whatever i was looking for was not going to be in a simple pci uh register write because all of the stuff that actually like talks to speakers and stuff is done through the codec and the codec is the realtek device the controller is the Intel device. So the Intel device doesn't actually know about any of this stuff. It's just kind of the middleman. So you submit commands to the controller, the controller then talks to the codec and the codec is the thing that actually handles um, streaming audio to the, um, the like digital to analog uh, converter and then sending it out to speakers and stuff and like reading data from the microphone. Um, So Basically, there were a bunch of commands that were going, that were being sent to the controller that then went to the um, codec, and I wasn't seeing those commands in the output of QMU. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so this is where the actual like patching of QMU came in. So I had to edit the source code and add some custom logging stuff so that uh, it would print out the contents of a DMA address in that was set up in Windows. Mm-hmm. And then so every time a certain PCI uh, read or write uh, happened, it would then dump the contents of that DMA buffer. And in the DMA buffer were the actual commands that the driver was sending to the codec. So then I, then I had the actual list of all of the um, commands. And those commands are the actual important things that uh, would be telling the codec, you know, um, set this up, do this, activate the both speakers or whatever. So uh, with all of that, I had a list of... Uh, 3,150 commands that it was submitting to the driver over like a, I don't know, it was like, you know, booting Windows, starting it up, uh, playing a simple sound, and then shutting down. So that was maybe up for a few minutes, and it generated 65,000 lines of PCI read and writes and 3,150 commands. So then of that subset of commands, I had to basically copy that whole list, put it in the OpenBSD driver, and then the speaker worked. Um, but awesome. then because there were 3,000 commands, I didn't want to have to put that in the driver. So then it was like a process of elimination, booting OpenBSD with some of those commands commented out, and then I would play um, a sound and see if it went out of both speakers. I would try and comment out some more commands, compile the kernel, reboot, play it again, see if it worked, and keep doing that until the speaker stopped working. So after all of that, I got down to a list of 662 commands, which is still a lot, but it's obviously way less than 3,000. Um, so those 662 commands are the minimum that I could find that will do this uh, magic, I guess, and play audio out of both speakers. And that magic, I don't know if that's like a full Dolby initialization because I can't imagine it's that many commands to just say, hey, turn on that speaker. There must be some kind of thing that like Dolby has to set up or train or something. Um, But anyway, so now I have that list of commands in the driver that's in my tree. Uh, Audio works out of both speakers, and I'm kind of not sure what to do at this point. (laughs) Dude, that is such a cool uh, read when I saw that post go up, I was like, Oh my gosh, what did you do? Like your articles are always really well-written and I enjoy reading them. But this one, I was like riveted. I was like, this is like, you would, you kind of like understate the significance of these. You're like, Oh, I just do this and then this and then this. And I'm like, each of those steps had to take like hours or days uh, a piece. So, um, but it's a, sounds like 3000 some odd commands is a far cry from, uh, the register bit you were hoping to flip. (laughs) Yeah, I guess, you know, if I had read the specifications first and knew about all these commands and the way that all these codecs worked, uh, I would have known. Because, you know, I spent like a week going through the whole list of of 65,000 PCI read and writes, and I wrote like a Ruby script that would turn all the random hex codes that were in there and then try and look up those codes in the header file um, and translate them into actual commands um, as they are written in the OpenBSD driver so that at least I could kind of read them and say, oh, this is a read of this particular register and that register has a name and you know, try and make sense of them. 
Um, and I wouldn't have had to do all of that because I would have known that, um, that it was some magic in a, and an actual command that I, uh, that I wasn't seeing. But, um, anyway, it's funny that you mentioned that it was different than my other articles because, um, the places that I've seen it posted were like hacker news and Reddit. Um, like I've gotten like two comments on it and people are just like, wow, that's crazy. So I don't know if it's like too <laughs> complicated and, and most people are like, yeah, I don't understand any of this. Like, um, or if it's just boring or something, I don't know, but yeah, it's funny that, uh, my articles just, you know, explaining about a, a new laptop get way more feedback. I, I don't know. Like for me, I, I look at a lot of the technical stuff online and I'm like, Oh my gosh, why do we do this stuff? It's kind of <laughs> ridiculous. Like somebody's bragging about NPM and all this kind of crap. And I'm like, ah, this is dumb. Yeah. But I really genuinely enjoyed this one. I actually took the time to read through it a couple times just to digest what was in there. So that's really a, a massive reverse engineering undertaking. I think it's really cool. Uh, that you got that working yeah um and before i went through all of this i actually filed a linux kernel bug because the linux sound driver obviously has the same issue because it doesn't do any dolby initialization or anything like that um so i filed a kernel bug with them saying that this doesn't work in linux and i was hoping that the um people that maintain all of the linux sound drivers that actually work at intel and realtek would be like, oh, we need to do this. And then they would give me the secret um, register right that I was hoping for, that we could just do an OpenBSD. Um, and they basically replied and were like, yeah, this is a problem with your hardware. You need to contact your vendor. And I was like, really? Like a Linux person is telling me to contact my vendor? Like if I call Huawei, they're going to be like, oh, okay, you need to do this you know, sequence of 600 commands to train the Dolby codec. Um, so I did go back and then update the Linux bug and I dumped the 600 commands that are needed. And I basically said like, this is what you need to do. I don't know how you guys want to handle this in your driver. Um, and the guy that, uh, I think he works at Realtek, um, was like, oh wow, that's great. Um, and so I'm curious to see what he's actually going to do with this, if he's going to put it in the driver or, or what, but, uh, Yeah. Yeah, they were probably thinking, oh, man, this is several thousand commands. I don't want to have to do this. <laughs> yeah. Let's tell this guy it's not supported. Right. <laughs> oh, man, really cool stuff. Um, I, I'm not trying to ride on your coattails or anything, but uh, when you were talking through that, um, I'm not ar- allowed to really talk about what I work on at work, but I can tell you that I had a similar process where I had to um, like write a bunch of hex codes of commands, and uh, I had like four or five commands. I'm up to like six now that I had to implement. And it took me a couple days and it was a really gratifying thing to see like the five commands get deciphered and sent and actually make them do something useful on the other side. Mm -hmm. And I was like overwhelmed and excited and all stoked about that. So I bet your speakers sound really, really good after you waited through (laughs) thousands of lines of output and, and went through all that. You know, it's funny because, um, I think that whatever these 600 commands are doing to activate the Dolby, uh, you know, subsystem or whatever, that it is actually making it sound like it's supposed to, you know, so that even before, even though it was only playing out of one speaker, that it was still like the, you know, the preamp or whatever wasn't set up right. So it wasn't like as, as good sound as like bass heavy as it could be. So, um, 
but yeah, I, and obviously just because of all the work that it took, um, it definitely does sound very good now. So I very much enjoy playing audio, uh, or playing uh, music on it. Um, and the little hardware support chart that I had on my website for the article about this laptop now has all yeses except for the uh, fingerprint reader, which I don't care about. So I'm happy that uh, everything works now. Very awesome. Yeah, I saw your um, you had your command line um, audio player listed out there, and uh, I got to looking at that. I'm like, that's really that's really nice how that works. What is that thing called again? Uh, CMUS CMUS. I don't know. CMUS. Yeah. CMUS? Um, I actually wrote. Yeah, C, C music or something like that. Yeah, I actually wrote my own in uh, Ruby that was uh, that kind of used FFmpeg under the hood to actually play the audio, and I was doing all of it, and you know, I was like, why am I writing my own audio player? Like, there's got to be something better out there. Um, so I found this, and it's it seems to be pretty popular among uh, Linux users, but. Um, yeah, it's nice. It's a nice uh, command line uh, kind of uh, pseudo GUI for managing your music. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, really cool stuff. Um, I, I don't know what, to, what else to say about this audio driver, but uh, it kind of makes sense that they would uh, have the hardware set up that way nowadays, I suppose. Yeah, and it's weird because, you know, it doesn't work in Linux and it actually doesn't work in windows by default either. Like if you just install windows 10, it has the default Intel sound drivers like we have, and it still only plays out of the um, left side speaker. So it's not anything that, um, you know, the OpenBSD driver is doing wrong or not doing. Um, right. It's this completely custom thing that uh, Realtek um, had to make. So just generally, though, this experience of using VFIO on Linux to um, debug a driver uh, is super helpful and useful. Um, there's a lot of, you know, data that you get out of it. And I think if there weren't all the DMA um, parts of this, it would have been a lot easier to debug and, you know, find a, a bug or um, even write a driver. Um, so I'm I'm excited to see if VMM on uh, OpenBSD ever gets this kind of PCI handoff um, where we're able to like pass through a PCI device or something to Linux um, or I guess if we ever get Windows support in uh, VMM to basically do the same thing because the um, even you know even if you're not reverse engineering someone else's driver, the ability to boot um, OpenBSD in VMM, and hand off a PCI device and then make a change to your driver, compile it, and then reboot that virtual machine to test the driver on that uh, PCI device instead of having to reboot the entire uh, machine, which is how I've basically had to do every um, device driver I've ever written or tried to debug, and it takes forever because you have to you know, go through the whole BIOS initialization, type your software passphrase, um, basically try and get back into your workflow of whatever you were doing in your editor and all that. Um, so the, the, even without the, um, uh, the debugging or the reverse engineering part of this, just being able to quickly reboot QMU, um, booting windows and then alternating between that and OpenBSD and trying all these things. Uh, it was just so much faster than doing a, a native driver development. And as far as I know, that's how, um, the IWM driver on OpenBSD was actually developed. 
um, a guy was contracted to write that driver and he used uh, rump kernels on NetBSD to actually do, to do this. So he was um, able to write the driver and then quickly um, iterate like that and reboot the uh, the you know the virtual machine that's controlling that PCI device. Um, and then once he was done and it worked, he just ported the driver to OpenBSD because uh, there weren't that many changes needed. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool stuff. Yeah, VMM I think is in its. Uh is starting to make headway, but it's still in its infancy. I think in a lot of ways, um, I would love to see it come to arm 64. Mm -hmm. Um, like uh, I was kind of, I don't know. I don't know what, what the purpose of that would be except for the development piece. Um, you know, like I'm working on a couple different things on uh, the raspberry Pis right now. And, uh, I don't know, like right now it's basically, x86 is x86 you, it's not like qmu where you can be like oh i'm on an x86 machine boot up a, a raspberry pi emulate the cpu and all that kind of stuff and do development right mm-hmm. vmm's locked to the architecture you're on um but anyway um when i was doing the raspberry pi stuff i thought that'd be cool to like do on an x86 machine i suppose i could use qmu but uh the vmm stuff seems to be a little bit lighter and easier to use from what i've seen so far so yeah I mean, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing those kind of uh, advancements there. Hopefully, that's not like uh, something that never happens. I'd really love to see that kind of stuff grow. For sure. All right, my friend. Did you have anything else? No, you uh, you made me chuckle, though, when you said um, you were talking about dealing with sleep deprivation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Do it for another, like nine years and then uh yeah it'll, it'll be like the normal <laughs> walk around like a zombie all the time right <laughs> so um no not not really a whole lot um i'm really digging this uh this new job i uh i think it was sometime last week and i was just sitting there and i was like man if i if i had known how rewarding and satisfying it would be to do this kind of stuff um i would have worked so much harder to get out of the web dev space so much longer ago (laughs) it was super rewarding super i mean i don't understand the driver um uh what am i trying to say i don't understand hardware well and uh, i don't understand writing drivers well and all of a sudden like i started working on this stuff for work and so many things so many of the little bits and pieces that i did understand came together with stuff that I didn't understand. And I just started putting things together in very short order. And, uh, it was super rewarding, super satisfying. And, uh, I'm hoping that, you know, the things that I have been able to piece together with the stuff I'm working on at work will translate into driver work in OpenBSD Mm -hmm. because there, there's some overlap. Um, and again, I can't really talk about it too much, but, uh, you know, just simple things like, I'm reading hex all day now. Like I'm reading hex codes all day now. I'm doing bit shifting. I'm doing comparators all day now. I'm doing, um, what am, what else am I doing? You know, just, I don't know, just reading bytes off the wire and parsing things and all that kind of stuff. Just, it's so much different than web dev. And when you go to look at drivers now, the code makes sense because it's in a way that I'm thinking on a daily basis. Um, rather than web dev where it's like, all right, 
parse this, validate this, put it in the database, pull it back out, you're done, right? Right. So uh, it's it's been rewarding, been been fun. I have like six drivers that I'm working on right now that I'm actually making progress on, which feels really good. Wow. I'm seeing stuff happen. Um, I really hope that I get some of them to work. Um, the Raspberry Pi stuff, um, the SD host. Uh, I am working on a couple different things there. I'm working on the GPIO stuff, which I actually have. Um, uh, what, what is it? GPIO CTL. I think I have stuff set up to do that. And I was going to come home and test it. I haven't had time yet, but I think that I'm configuring the pins. Um, the only thing that was a little bit weird about it with the, with the GPIO is that uh, normally you have like... Um, uh, two states on a pin, but with the Raspberry Pi, you have more. I think it's tri-state, hmm. so there's multiple states. So you have to iterate over in the driver and do a little bit more than you normally would. But um, I think if I just skip that for now, they'll still work. I'll still be able to get and set and read and write or whatever you want to call it uh, the pins. So I I um, I think that that stuff should all be working. It's kind of cool. Um, and then I want to be able to test some simple stuff that I have laying around the house here. There's a couple different things that I just want to see if I can, you know, flip on and off an LED, simple stuff like that. Yeah, I have a uh, little clock next to my bed that uh, has some uh, LED displays. And they're, uh, it's driven by a Raspberry Pi, but I have to boot uh, Linux on it because the that GPIO stuff doesn't work. Yeah. in OpenBSD, so it would be nice to, to make that run OpenBSD. Yeah, I'm going to keep working on it for sure. I uh, I am making progress on that stuff. I just need to keep finding, I need to keep making time. Before, I was just kind of like, oh, let me see if I can try NetBSDs and try and port it. And then all of a sudden, one day, I was like, let me just start from scratch. And I just started writing the drivers, uh, ripping things out, and re- now I'm like reading the hardware uh, manuals straight off the uh, PDF and, and it's like, oh, okay, this is how you have to do this stuff. And then I go into our existing driver framework to understand how that initialization looks inside of OpenBSD's kernel. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the flattened device tree stuff, I'm reading that fairly regularly. Uh, like, for instance, um, the clocks on the, um, on the SD host, right? Like, you just read that stuff right out of there iterate over them, um, initialize the clock, make sure it's running at the right speed, all that kind of stuff. So that's been fun. It's been rewarding. I'm hoping that I can get the interrupts working on SD host stuff because you need to have that in order for it to work at all. Right. Um, there's some weird thing that Broadcom does in their chip. Uh, I'm a little bit too tired today <laughs> to remember what it is, but it's, uh, Basically, you have to do some, there's some interrupt state that you have to handle in order for anything to work. I forget what it is. So. We'll keep at it, man. Yeah, I'm having fun. It's, it's, I don't know what it is, but it's a whole bunch of things just started to click all at once. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I guess that's it for this episode of Garbage. We're back and uh, it didn't take us another year to record another episode. Only uh, a month and a week. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, So please, if you're listening and you're not a robot, leave us a voicemail with your feedback or questions. Um, It can be anything. Just, you know, tell us that you're listening 
and uh, where you're from or something. Uh, you can call us at area code 252. Uh, that's country code one if you're outside the U.S., but I don't know if you want to make uh, an expensive phone call to the U.S. Uh, area code 252-88-TRASH. Uh, or you can reach us on Twitter at GarbageFM or through our website at Garbage.FM. Brandon is on Twitter at NoMercyMod with a K-N-O-W and is no longer on Google+. Uh, I'm on the web at JCS.org and on Twitter at JCS. Awesome. All right. So long. I would like to pause because my battery on this MacBook is <laughs> flying down. So okay. let me run out and grab something real quick. Let's pause for a station identification break. You are listening to Garbage.fm. Two guys who complain about everything. Everything is garbage. Here on Garbage FM. Okay. I'm back. We have power. <laughs>